Hey there, and welcome to the Safta Podcast. This is Nicholas Flatoff, Technical Brand Ambassador. I'm joining you from our now new Portland showroom. We're right in the midst of the move. Got a roaster coming over today. So a lot of crazy stuff happening over here, but uh, cut out some time to hang out with Jess Steffi over at Square One, one of our earliest adopters. Uh, we've really had a lot of fun working with you guys, finding some improvements for the machine and working through our uh, logistics supply chain on getting better parts over to you and all that. It's been a long relationship. We really appreciate working with you guys. But Jess, I wanted to turn it over to you and just get a little overview of Square One. I'm sure a lot of listeners are intimately aware of your business and, and what you've got going on, but uh, Let's hear an overview. Sure. Well, thanks so much for having me. Square One has existed since 2000. So it is, that makes it uh, grandpa or grandma, great grandma in, in a specialty coffee. But my husband and I took over the reins of the operation in 2007. So our specialty coffee journey started just a couple years before that in a small little farmer's market stand roasting in a one pound fluidized bed roaster, just like, you know, we all did back in the day, just to kind of give the tourists that theater of, look, the coffee's being roasted right there. It's awesome. So we grew from that one pound roaster in a farmer's market in the Amish countryside in 2004 to purchasing Square One in 2007. They were roasting for themselves at that time, but barely. So uh, upgraded their roasting operations really I would say then learned how to roast, you know, somewhere around 2008, maybe we, we had it. <laughs> and then again, and then again, in 2009, always learning, right? Um, so and building a wholesale business, which they didn't have until about 2009, you know, getting into Whole Foods with our retail coffee, really starting to build that wholesale side of the business, really enjoying wholesale relationships with cafes up and down the East Coast. We have a lot of really great accounts in Cambridge. Um, so we're going up there pretty regularly. We have built the business out to where we also do barista training, pretty comprehensive based off of SEA and PGA sort of classes, but like scaled down for the working barista. And so it started out as a way of training our own staff. Now we're doing it for wholesales and offering it classes to the public as well. We've built out a uh, equipment service company because of just need <laughs> in this area. There's kind of a void of tech service. So we're happy to be getting leads from all the manufacturers going, hey, <laughs> you guys know what you're doing. Could you help? <laughs> um, so that's great. Kind of organically just happened. So there's a lot of moving parts to square one these days. But yeah, the origins were just literal mom and pop. My husband and I work inside by side in a farmer's market with a five-month-old. We've never done it without kids and we've never done it funded. So we've been bootstrapping and begging banks and uh, <laughs> doing our best all the way up through. I cannot believe I'm saying it's 2021, weathered the pandemic. But of course, we uh, made this huge decision to invest in our equipment at our company right before the pandemic. <laughs> Got all this amazing, amazing new technology that I had seen similar technology at origin, dry mills and things, and just floored, like Willy Wonka style, blew my mind that that technology existed. I was so happy, but never imagined I would be able to own it and have it in my roastery doing the things that it's doing for my coffee. And I was really impressed by it. Of course, we did get it all right before the pandemic. And then our last year, like literally the install was in February and everything was shut down in March. So we really haven't spent any time. If you look at our social media and even talk to some of our team, like we've we had been in survival mode and, you know, taking care of tasks, but really only the people that are cupping with me on a regular basis and our roaster and operations manager at the warehouse, they're intimately aware of the amazing things that's happening and the huge upgrade that our coffee has been given. But we have not gotten to talk about it to the masses yet and talk to our 
our loyal customers about it. And it's like, I'm not hundred percent sure if they notice or not, but oh my goodness, I notice. And I cannot wait to like start blowing the horn a little bit more about it. This is my first chance to talk about it and it's fitting that I'm talking to you about it. So the philosophy that I saw there from meeting the technicians, roasters, like there is a, a total passion for getting the absolute most out of the coffee there. And not just the coffee, but everything surrounding coffee. What I saw there was lived out in in every capacity. And so, you know, we've met with a lot of roasters and a lot of people who would kind of do both the roasting and the green buying and the, you know, maybe a little bit smaller operation where it's just one person doing one thing. So it's been fun to see, to spend a little bit of time with you guys where you have experts in these categories that are, they've got a really defined job and they do it well really a lot of opportunity there, I think, for the industry. Now, you started out on roasting, but you've kind of transitioned over time a little bit more towards the sensory QC, that type of work. What we've heard a lot about on the podcast before is how the equipment actually kind of functions. And as a result, there's this implied impact in the cup, right? It's taken all the Quakers out. It's taken the defects out. So obviously the coffee should taste better, but we haven't really chatted with anybody who's been really close and tight knit on the coffee side from the transition pre-sorter to post-sorter. Diving into that, what you're tasting in the cup, what have been some of your perceived changes since that optical sorter has been implemented? I mean, I've noticed it, but when you're not doing a comparison side by side, I'm just comparing it to a memory. So recently, I had our roaster, Jacob, pull me samples before it went through the sorter on every one of our single origin. And I brought them just in case I need to reference them because I just did the last couple before I came here. because We just got some new, but it's something we're going to do every time because we want to know what we're cupping it on the sample roaster when we're buying it we want to see what its production level roast score is and then we want to see what the sorter's doing so we're able to track the chain of quality this is important to us because we're doing a really deep partnership with the farm and we're going to be able to help them make some significant changes at the farm level and the mill level whatever information we have at every stage will be valuable so that's i'm excited about that but yeah it's um so i'm a q grader and i have certified to judge all the world barista competitions and had been judging in the United States. So like, I know a thing or two about a good cup of coffee, I want to say, just to like put it out there. Um, so it's like, I don't know, I see a lot of people scoring everything 90 plus, everything's a 94 and I'm, I haven't tasted one in years, if ever. So like, I'm more realistic with my scoring and I try to be unbiased and blind cup, but it's undeniable the difference. So obviously the difference is more dramatic in natural coffee or a pulp natural or a honey processed coffee because we're looking at these coffees, they're coming over a little more rustic a little more uh, variation in color and size and whatnot. And even I'm, I'm talking about the more expensive coffees on the market. I'm talking about boutique importers. I'm not talking about commodity grade coffee at all. Definitely specialty grade coffee. Everything's above 80 and everything we're buying. I'm going to say this too. It hasn't, the sorter hasn't changed our buying practices. It's only improving what we're already getting. So we're already buying coffee and liking it. And we're watching this shine, this, this pearl, and it is making something that's an 85 and 86. Um, Something that's a washed, clean, really stellar coffee already doesn't have a ton of improvement to be made to it. So we're seeing at least about a point on coffees like that. Like you said, taking away a couple Quakers um, or stinkers here and there, just kind of cleaning up the finish. 
mild differences, but also like I didn't expect the body to change so much. Like some of those things have more impact on the mouthfeel and the way it coats your mouth than you would realize. So I, I was impressed to see that it wasn't just an aftertaste thing and a flavor thing. It also did enhance or improve the body and the acidity even. Like I, I saw noticeable improvements throughout. But yeah, when you get a coffee that's coming in a little more all over the map, it's and again, we can choose the level that we're sorting. We can really be aggressive and sort a lot out or back off. And, you know, you don't want to have a lot of waste sorted out of your coffee. You want to take as little away as possible with the most improvement. And it's been fun to find that level not very hard because like the minimal amount even sorting out of a, a natural Ethiopian, say, four and a half point bump. I was dancing. I was dancing. I was like, I think this is aging out. I don't know what the problem is. It shouldn't be because it's still fresh enough. It's not that past crop. I was like, I did it again. I'm going to throw it on the table blind to make sure that I'm not just freaking out. But it was, we had some over fermented beans. You, you add an over fermented bean as much as you might like fruit and it was getting vinegar and sour and the sorter removes that. That is a massive difference in your cup score for sure. So every single coffee was a noticeable improvement. And like I said, this farm we're partnering with this newer relationship, we're getting coffees that are threshold specialty like 81 and we're able to see those become 83s because there's just enough but a little bit of grooming goes a long way for this coffee. So yeah, I'm I'm excited to see where it can take us because as specialty coffee gets harder to come by, climate change and things like that, as more and more people are fist fighting over the very best coffees in the world, what you can do with any coffee will become a value add for your business. If I can take a 78 or 79 and shine it up to an 80 or 81, that's that's a big deal. And that's that it could have a major impact for farmers too, because if I'm able to sell it at the prices that I'm selling coffee at, I can pay more for it on the other end. So I have big dreams for where it could go, but just with this little kind of test case with this specific farm that we're working with in Honduras. So it'll be fun to track. Have you had a situation, I, I know it's only been three harvests maybe, have you had a batch of coffee that you maybe otherwise wouldn't have accepted that you had a little bit more confidence accepting because you had the optical sorter as far as those direct farmer relationships? Yes, because last crop was scoring a little higher than this crop. This crop, we included some of the neighbors as well who have the same trees and are tending them the same way. But instead of it being kind of like a solid 83, there was like some 81 and some 84 mixed together. And so the sorter pulled it out and I'm seeing it taste just as good as last year, if not a little better. So we could have seen a dip in quality, but we didn't. I just today tasted what it tasted like before the sort. And yeah, it was definitely like an 81 after the sort. Yep, we're up at 83.5 or something. So yeah, it was a noticeable improvement. And that that's a coffee that's so mild. It wasn't like, ooh, there was a real big over-fermented bean or a bunch of underripes or something like that. No, it was like that one was a much more subtle groom because, again, it was a washed coffee, but it's still whatever it removed, it provided clarity. Uh, and this is a fun debate that we're having, a philosophical debate that we're having amongst our team that cups is like, okay, here's these two cups, exact same coffee, same amounts, you know, we're cupping, pre-sort, post-sort, which one's sweeter? They both have the same amount of sugar, right? This one is missing beans that 
we're more acidic because we're tasting a lot of sourness. So that's those overripes, but it like still has all the same sugar content, but those overripes were kind of like just yelling so loudly that you couldn't hear the other, like out of balance choir, someone just being so loud, you can't appreciate the rest. So like removing those more brassy, sharp underripes really allows you to dig into the sweetness that the coffee has. So it didn't increase the sweetness, same roast, right? It wasn't like more caramelized than the other, same roast, but um, just removing, grooming that little bit off made the perception of sweetness just double without adding sugar, right? Or anything else. So it's like, what else are we able to better perceive now that we couldn't before? And then it's amazing to see then even a dark roast, we've got a, and that's, that's the other thing I was going to say, this is important if you're roasting light underripes change the flavor of a cup so much. If you're roasting everything dark, you're going to burn those underripes and you're adding char and roast character. So you're going to get away with it. But for all roasters who aren't taking it to second crack and are sticking around first crack, dare I say any Nordic approaches that you have with Scandinavian roasts, like 10 times more important for the, the sorting and the grooming. But our more forgiving dark roasts even seem sweeter. They're just not as bitter. It just cleaned up the finish for us and just, like I said, allowed you to appreciate the sweetness that's already in the coffee. Like, I often will describe it on a nice washed coffee. Like, do you remember those old dusting commercials with pledge or end dust it's like it was still a wooden table before but it was dusty and then you run that rag with pledge or whatever through it and it's like sparkle like it the same coffee but run through the sorter it like just removes this layer of dust and just kind of polishes and allows it to sparkle and shine i've I'm a nerd about it now, and I'm, I'll be your best salesperson. Yeah. <laughs> Josh, Josh is like, don't tell everyone how good it is. Then that's what everyone's going to have, and we won't be special anymore. So I already blew that. But, uh, yeah, anyway. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's got to be implemented, right? You guys have the perfect structure for it. Another side note, I got to throw it out, that it, it just gets me so stoked to see the equipment being used in the ways that software really intended it to be used, you know, getting more cash into farmers, taking these really beautiful coffees and kind of removing that veil and presenting them in the best way, doing the farmers all their work, the best justice we can, right? I have this philosophy that you can only take away from coffee from the point that it's like planted, right? But this is one of those things where taking away is, is genuinely a good thing. But after tasting, you know, lower acidity, higher sweetness, you got that balance there, right? In the cup. Sometimes maybe you'll want a little bit more acidity. Have you had a cup where you taste it and you're like, yeah, we're actually going to reduce the rejects in this uh, to bump up the acidity a little bit for what we're actually selling in the retail bag? No, because I think the trend for us is reducing acidity. We're continually reducing acidity. And I was prepared for that to go, ooh, we sorted out too much on this. I kind of lost some complexity here. And I kind of wondered if that was going to happen on our fresh crop of this Guatemalan coffee that we just got because I tasted the pre-sort and it was mind-blowingly good and I was like oh we can't improve this <laughs> the sorter isn't gonna what's the sorter gonna take away and I was like bracing a little bit to see a loss in complexity a loss of something and holy cow shined it up made it even better like almost brought a tear to my eye it was so beautiful like it was a roaster Jacob was floored as well. He came up and cupped it after me, so he didn't even see my reaction. He got to the pre-sorted Guatemalan and said, oh my gosh, it's the pre-sort. And I was like, I know. I just, like, this is 
way do you taste it, right? Yeah, so we haven't done that, but then I was brave enough, when I, and you have to do this, I think, uh, to just cup the rejects, just to taste a whole cupping cup of just rejects to see what is it? Is there anything in there that we're like missing? Oh, that was good. Why not? Where are we taking that away? No, no, we're good. <laughs> Nobody needs the coffee that we're sorting aside. It can be used for some sort of like frack donation situation. We're trying to find some good, reliable nonprofits around town to give that to. But yeah, so far, what I'm tasting in the rejects is all your overs and unders, which is such a like schizophrenic cup. I don't know, like, I don't know how to feel about a, that cup of coffee because there's some middle ground in there, but it's mostly like the char and the sour and metallic and vegetal. It's just like, yeah, the snow pea meets the char and you're like, it's over and under and it's not pleasant, but it's vaguely coffee. Like it's a, I, I don't know. I, I, we let people who are not we needed to get an unbiased street level opinion from somebody who wasn't going to overanalyze it. And they were like, it's all right. <laughs> Whereas we were like, oh, this is not palatable. I don't, we definitely can't sell this. There's like I had plenty of people who would be happy to take it off our hands for free. So anyway, we're finding some good donation spots for it. But yeah, if I would ever, and I'll continue to do, to randomly dip into the, the rejects on, on coffees to see what it is we're pulling out. And I also think it's a great educational experience for our staff as we're slowly educating them on the new technology that we're using. Yeah, like this is what this saved you from. <laughs> you do not have to drink this coffee because of this awesome technology. And potentially, as you were saying, all the implications that could have back to the, from seed to cup. What to do with the rejects is always an, an interesting conversation. I, I do know the donation route or even blending it into, you know, like an almost perfect type blend. That Torch is almost perfect does not have rejects in it. I need <laughs> that's the yeah. name of one of our blends. So I got I gotta clarify sure. on that. Sure, we, sure. we don't we don't yeah. blend in our, our rejects uh, in, into that blend. That those are usually just maybe a week off roast. But yeah, you blend in maybe you got some off roast coffee and, and some rejects and get it to a good place to put it to use. And yeah, if you're not dropping 20 plus bucks on a bag of coffee, you know, maybe you can live with a less than perfect cup like that. We've also got a couple local artisan folks who like use it, just the grounds for scrubs and stuff. People want that coffee for like a non-edible use. They're just putting it in sugar scrubs, lotions and body stuff and kind of like aromatherapy things. And we need like a lot more of those folks. That'd be great because that's like the ideal place for it because I still don't want folks drinking it. However, we've been roasting coffee for 16 years and all of that was included in what we were selling. So I'm not ashamed of it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's all, all these other roasters who don't have this, they're serving that. Like, you know, if we buy the exact same coffee as another roaster who doesn't have this technology, they're putting it all out the door. Maybe they'll grab one or two Quakers with their eyes as they unload the roast, but you're just not capable, unless you got somebody dedicated to hand sorting. And uh, I, I don't know many people who do have that. So yeah, I, it's just so nice to have that extra, like, okay, cool. This is a little bit below our standards, it's a fun problem to have to solve. What are we going to do with it? Because all of this other stuff has just seen such a great market improvement. Even my own staff, I'm not saying they're sick of me, but I'm like, look at this. <laughs> and that's the other thing, Jacob, uh, my lead roaster, he's a great taster, but as we've been so busy, he's gotten to do less tasting. He's been more roasting. So he's just looking at the visual improvement and he's seeing the stark difference just visually. I'm like, well, that's a whole thing right there. Just get me some shots maybe just of like 
with good lighting overhead, equal lighting. So it's like before or after so that like, it's just a little more obvious, especially on some of these just, it's very impressive. So even just removing some, you know, on a Brazilian coffee, say like a, just removing a certain color is going to remove the beans that have more silver skin. Yeah. The burnt kind of charred on the difference that makes on the end flavor. Oh my goodness. Like cleaning up Brazilian coffees too where I've never tasted them before. People have mixed opinions on them, but we've competed with Brazilian coffees before. So we're like real big advocates and uh, even the best high-end awesome Brazilian coffees that we've competed with. I like want to go back in time and put them through the sorter and taste them. Like I have that, some of my favorite coffees now. I This is the other part about us. Like we're big into just repeat buys. We don't want to be like, I mean, there's room on our menu for small lots of single origins, but when it comes to what we're actually really selling most of and buying, we want it to be long-term. So our, what we buy like almost two containers of now a year, our biggest quantity workhorse coffee. This is the seventh year we've worked with this farm. And then all of our others is like, you know, five years, four years, three years, a bunch of two years, because we're trying to be repeat buyers and build relationships. And we want to not just kind of run around being coffee hunters necessarily, but kind of do business the way we do it on the wholesale side. And that is just like totally committed to the success of our wholesale customers in it, trying to help them at every level. We don't do as much of that with the farm partners because of distance and stuff, but also we know less about growing coffee. We're not over there trying to, we know a lot about running cafes. So we're able to help our wholesale customers, but we're not people who are running over to farms, trying to tell them how to do what they know how to do. And if we did, we would also be those who would pay for the results. We would not um, make a farmer stick their neck out and take a risk and then not be willing to totally back them up and cover their results. And the other thing about a long-term partnership at the farm level is they're going to have a bad year. And where are you at on a bad year? And I can step out pretty confidently because of this tool. This sorter can help me help this coffee take a big step up if I get a bad year. So I can even step out in these long-term relationships with a lot more confidence. And uh, that's what we're doing with this new farm relationship in Honduras. I knew I could, like, I had a decision. It's 5,000 pounds that this in 84 and 2,600 from neighboring farms who really need this sale as well and it's very similar and they're using all the same techniques but it's an 81 and we want to blend it to all together and we want to send it to you and you sell it and I'm not like I don't know two or three years ago I don't know how I would have felt about it I don't know if I would have been able to make that call but I was able to make that call and today I just 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 tasted it and we're all good. It's going to be great because it just landed last week. So that is, I feel like using this tool to, to, to its potential for what we wanted to bring to the industry, like seeing actual cash flowing into farms at a higher rate than, you know, bulk or just being able to build the long-term relationships and not dump a relationship with one bad harvest. That I think is the key to, first of all, the sustainability. We talk a lot about sustainability and we focus a lot on environmental stuff, but if we, you know, fundamentally what I think uh, there was a, another living income report that came out this week and there was only, I think it was only Brazil was averaged properly. Every other producing, I think it was just South America producer was outside of the living LVI bracket. So, you know, we got some work to do if we want good coffee for when we're, you know, going into retirement, I think and you guys are, you're actively right now doing that to make sure that continues happening. And that gets me stoked. So thank you. You're welcome. No, I, this has been a project that has been about eight years in the making because this is a nonprofit organization 
and they started with a location in Kenya. And this was them taking over a children's home that was in disrepair. And the kids were starving and it wasn't a good situation. So a bunch of people that were sending over money, fast forward a decade or so later, and it's a whole organization. And they're doing this in other countries, kind of taking over these existing children's homes. And their kind of their mission is to revolutionize orphan care, specifically, kind of like small home groups with house parents, as opposed to this big building orphanage sort of approach, more institutional approach. So um, seeing them do that in all the countries where coffee grows and being a part of some of that work and just spending a lot of time in Kenya specifically, going there every time I'm doing any coffee sourcing, but then always stopping at this nonprofit and spending time with these kids and building relationships there. And I've been on their advisory board and stuff, so I'm pretty heavily involved with this nonprofit, but I've been saying one of their big missions is we want to make this sustainable. We don't just want everybody to be writing checks and GoFundMes and all all this stuff forever. Let's have little businesses. Like we're already growing food for the community. If there's excess, then we can sell it. We already have cows for milk. If there's excess, we can sell it. Poultry for the eggs and and stuff. And so I was saying coffee is the only one of those commodities that can be exported globally. And this is something you need to do. So I had spent a couple years going back and forth doing research to try to help them get this started. And it's still ongoing. So hopefully at the base of Mount Elgin, at the border of Uganda and Kenya, eventually we'll have some some coffee growing. But in the meantime, they took over an existing children's home in Honduras. And two years ago, they planted coffee. So this last year, we got that first harvest. And they keep planting more and they're coming to us and saying, what kind of coffee should we plant? This variety? This variety? Oh my gosh, I've never had so much input in like the future of somebody's farm. (laughs) I'm like, but I'm glad I've been spending all these last like five or six years researching varietals and tasting varietals isolated to come up and and tasting hybrids and how much robusta till you get cup quality impact and they want all the the benefits and I'm looking for the least impact the cup so where do those meet together and so doing all of that all to support all the proceeds go back to to that cause but to kickstart this farm we decided to go all in on this coffee and we're donating 100% of the profits how we did that on that first small crop was we were like, because they didn't even know what to charge us for it or whatever. So we just like got it. And every time we're selling it, we're just like monthly sending checks to them. So it's like, we're not making any money on it. We're covering our costs and the money's going to them. But that's obviously not sustainable because they need to be paid up front for their coffee, even though we're giving them the best price ever and all the proceeds, they're having to wait so long for it. For it. So for this fresh crop that just landed last week, we decided to just go put the cart before the horse and we paid them $5 a pound for this coffee green. And then it cost $1.38 to have it shipped and exported to us. So our green in price here is $6.38 for a 83. Like it's not a 90, you know? So that's before we put it through our roaster. That's before. So coming out the other end, this coffee should be a really expensive, really high end coffee, but that's not what it is. It's going to be one of our affordable, awesome coffees. It's just that we're literally sending all of the profits straight back to the farm, but we did it first. So we're like financing it. We're selling it off after the fact because it's like, yeah, I can't, I can't make them wait. And then that community that has not seen really what coffee could do and the potential for it, they just got this price for their coffee. That's 
three times what fair trade is offering them right now, at least twice what I've ever paid for a Honduran coffee. And that was an 88, <laughs> like in a, a micro lot that was like super, super high end and awesome. So it's like, that's the deepest level partnership. I'm not advocating every roaster do that because you wouldn't be able to invest in your business if you never made profit. So like, this is a true, like we're putting skin in the game at this stage because we want to see this community thrive and explode. And yeah, this is a fragile stage, especially after the pandemic. So we decided take the risk, do it this way. If we don't sell all the coffee, we don't sell it as for as much as we had intended or hoped for. The loss is our donation to this amazing orphan care community in Honduras. So I won't feel bad about it. And we're just excited to go visit them once this COVID restrictions and all these things let up. I can't wait to go take my team down and, and actually visit and interview and meet the team down there and my team, their team, ah, dreaming. Ah, it's going to be so much fun. 